On your second time around, the, the 193, what was the last country that you chose for yourself then? <laughs> it was Equatorial Guinea again. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, well <laughs> that again was not entirely <laughs> deliberate. But, but I ended up with Equatorial Guinea in the final five. And then I decided, oh, to hell with it. I'm going to have it be the last one once again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did that. That's this funny. was in June. It was just a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. that is quite funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you, designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Harry Mitsidis, who has traveled to every country in the world twice. Harry runs the Nomad Mania platform, which tracks travellers around the world and all the places that they go to, and he's on a mission to travel as far and as wide as possible. Many questions today and some questions about some countries that Harry's travelled to. So Harry, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello, I'm fine. Many, many greetings from South Korea, uh, where it's currently really freezing. So uh, <laughs> it's nice to be in a cosy room right now. Yeah. Which part of South Korea are you right now? Uh, today I'm in a town called Wonju. It's kind of slam bang in the centre. Uh, I did get to see North Korea today. I went to uh, the Eastern DMZ, uh, and you you get a nice view across the border. I did see the North Korean flag, but anyway, I'm just driving around and enjoying South Korea, which is uh, not really the most touristy or explored country. So. Uh, it, it's quite interesting doing that. Yeah, when I was there this year, it seemed to me, I don't know if this is true, that you can't actually go to the DMZ on the North Korean. You know, you know, you know the border, right? Is it closed still because of COVID is the rule? or? Well, the DMZ is a whole zone, so it yeah. spans the whole border. Where you can't go, if I understood, is the actual area which is the closest to Seoul. That's where everyone yeah. goes, the kind of famous huts, uh, which is uh, split. I think you can't go there. But um, I went to the eastern part, mm. which is on, on the east coast. Yeah. And that area, I mean, you don't actually go to the to the borderline, to the, to the line, but you have a good view of it from a, you know, from a kind of observation deck, maybe three or four hundred meters away so it, it's quite interesting and you get the full experience you need to get a permit uh, you kind of drive through there's a museum uh yeah it, it's it, you definitely get a bit of a vibe of being in a <laughs> in the no man's land so uh that that's worth it yeah, yeah i think it's next time i go is worth it i, I love south korea though i thought it was great seoul was a, is a great hub for i love coffee so i thought i was quite surprised at how good it was there but then you got like Busan in the south, you know, two very well-known cities, but very contrasting. And I couldn't believe there's like beach lifestyle down the south. Um, this is in the summer as well, so it's very hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Busan is fantastic. You know that beach there, um, that urban beach. I think it's totally iconic. It's up yeah. there in my top five city beaches. So yeah, oh, yeah. Seoul is 
definitely cosmopolitan. Uh, and but there's a lot of other things in Korea. You know, it's a it's a country that begs to be explored, and it's got a lot of natural beauty, um, a lot of nice walks and treks, and you know, hidden temples in the middle of the woods. Uh, it's really nice, and even now in the winter, it's, it's beautiful. It just gets really cold sometimes, so you can't do too much outside. Yeah, that's fair enough. It was actually super hot when we were there. Like the opposite. Oh, it, was, right. uh, it, it was blistering hot. Um, but yeah, loved it. And I would love to go back. So for this episode, I'd like to go back to the start for you, Harry. I'd like to know, where did you grow up? And was there an early memory that maybe kicked off the wanderlust or at least an interest in travel? Well, I grew up in Athens in Greece. I was born in London. Uh, my parents are from different countries. So uh, my mum's South African and my dad's Greek. I think uh, there isn't an early memory specifically, but um, we used to always fly to London to visit my grandparents uh, twice or even three times a year. So that was something I I learned, you know, I remember ever since I, I know myself. And I think this exposure to two cultures and airports, and I always liked the process of flying. I think that kind of got me going from a very, very young age. Okay, and then going into like adolescence, when you start to realise, you know, things of the world are happening. Do you, did you have a one trip maybe by yourself or like a proper trip that you can remember? We thought, oh, wow, I actually quite like the whole thing, you know, different culture, doing some activities. Was there one trip maybe you can think of then? Um, well, I had many trips. I was I was lucky enough to have parents who liked travelling. And back then in the early to mid 80s, travel was really not, as common as it is now mm. uh we did have a trip to south africa uh my mother left cape town when she was 16 and she hadn't been back until well her late 30s that would have been so it was more than 20 years that she'd been away and we went down there and for me a trip to africa at the age of 10 was really like wow we're with me and i remember going to kruger park um of course, it was a very, very different country then, uh, but I was too young to understand anything about apartheid or, you know, I mean, when you're 10, you don't realise these things. And and I loved it. I loved the different food, you know, biltong. I was like, what is this? Uh, <laughs> little <laughs> things like that really, really made an impression. It really was a different world. Um, I'm not sure that's the trip that resulted in me becoming a traveller, but it definitely made an impact, yeah. Yeah, how did you sort of, deal with the different cultures because your parents obviously are from different countries uh yeah quite different countries South Korea Greece and then you go into London as well like how did you deal with those three different cultures did you speak each language was there are you multi or bilingual or how how was that working I am fully bilingual uh we always spoke English at home because well my mum did learn Greek but not particularly well and somehow we we always uh, spoke English so um and it was odd I think I've never really dealt with it I'm still trying to find my place in the world and failing which is why I keep on traveling you know uh, it is a bit difficult um to have all these stimuli when you're very young uh I think you never really feel you belong anywhere for me you know having my schooling in Greek and then coming home and speaking English you know that was at the time rather jarring I guess I never thought about it 
I, I always knew that I'm a little bit different from the other people at school, for example. Um, and I don't think I, I dealt with it, really. It, it was just there, you know. Um, <laughs> so did you feel more comfortable in Greece or UK or South Africa? Like, is that, or is it just equally just a bit strange? Well, you know, when you're a child, I'm not sure you process things as you do when you're an adult. Mm. I think at the time I was pretty Greek uh, because mm. that's what it took in order to be part of the peer group at school. You know, you, you've got to kind of fit in and that's what you want when you're a teenager more than anything else. Right. Uh, so I think back back then I was more Greek than anything else. But then afterwards, you know, um, that's when things changed and now i definitely don't feel greek anymore but i don't feel english either and and the south african part was never very important for me i've only been to south africa maybe three times uh, mm. considering my mum was born there that that's not not a lot so i don't see myself as south african in any way uh but you know i do i do find certain things in england that are very familiar and I definitely think in English that's my first language mm -hmm. um, and you know if I'm traveling abroad especially maybe in in some of the ex-colonies and then I see something very British I get this kind of ah uh, you know a, a kind of feeling of of odd belonging in a bizarre setting so I definitely do feel partially English but uh, but not entirely it's very interesting I think it's the underrated I don't know what the word is really, but when people grow up with different parents from different countries, from Norwich, some from Norwich, right? So people don't travel here, they stay in Norwich and that's it. So everyone <laughs> is, is from Norwich, right? Uh, including my friends and all the families here and stuff like that. But it's underrated because I've got some friends who have married like a Kiwi, for example, so they're from UK and, and from New Zealand. I know culturally quite similar, but other sides of the world. So how do you deal with that dynamic? Because they've got to choose one day, right? So either somewhere in the mm. middle of both, or they've got to go to one of each other's country, and which means that the other person won't see their family as much, etc. But I think that is quite an underrated part of the growing up process if you have that in your childhood. Well, I definitely see it as an advantage because yes, you're exposed yeah. to double, you know, you you end up knowing more and being aware of more. And also inevitably you become more adaptable. Uh, because you've mm. got to. So these things are always positive, I think, in the end, apart from perhaps this eternal questioning of where exactly do you belong? I suppose people who, you know, who, who clearly are from one country don't question that so much. Yeah, that's a big question in the travel community, right? Where do you actually belong? Because um, I yeah. should really say Norwich, but do I really think I'm part of Norwich? I'm not sure. I haven't been here for 10 years, really. So, Oh, well. It's <laughs> a question I ask every day. I just want to think about it. Um, but you did study in Oxford as well, in UK. I did. I did my postgrad there. Uh, and that was really my first true exposure to, to being abroad, to living abroad. Uh, it was possibly the best year of my life. Uh, just being with people from so many different countries. And that was a turning point because I think there I really felt I do belong. I belong in this totally international setting with people from everywhere. That that clicked with me. Okay. So then when did the idea to travel, I don't want to say full time, but like extensively, when did that come into your mind? I think it happened gradually. So I was always very curious about the world. Uh, 
I've always wanted to explore. And uh, thanks to having parents who like to travel as well, I was exposed to quite a lot at a reasonably young age. Not too much, you know. I've, mm. I've calculated that, you know, I, I probably didn't have more than 40 countries by the age of 25, which might seem like a lot to some people. But given our community, that's not really that many but um i think gradually i thought you know i can do this and i also i'm an only child and i've learned to be alone so mm -hmm. i wasn't scared to go off on my own and explore in a bizarre country that was totally natural so i think uh it was mostly in my late 20s that i got this idea that i'm going to go to every country in europe which seemed very reasonable because I'd already been to maybe 70% and there weren't that many others and they're not that difficult. So I did it. And the problem is that once you start with goals like that, then Europe isn't enough. So you, the immediately for the following step is, well, now that I've done Europe, why not the whole world? Um, and I think I was about 30. Well, I finished Europe when I was 29 with Belarus. Um, and then I'm not sure I consciously started doing every country in the world. It didn't happen immediately. But then I think when I went to Afghanistan, which I'd always wanted to visit, then the penny dropped. And I'm like, well, if I've managed to do Afghanistan, surely I can do everything else. Uh, and that's how it happened. I was then going to say, once you do like a hard country in, in brackets, right, where it's obviously difficult with visas or you have to do a tour, whatever it is, once you conquer that early doors, do you, as you just said there, do you think that really opens up the doors to anywhere else because the fear or maybe the, the worry is not quite there as much? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the case of Afghanistan, I mean, it was really bonkers. I went really in the early days without any um, anything arranged. I just landed in Kabul, got out of the airport, looked around and thought, well, now what? You know, in that now, I wouldn't do that now, you know, but back then it seemed totally okay to do that. And and I think once I had that experience and everything fell into place very nicely on that trip in Afghanistan, I had a wonderful time, met really nice people, uh, really explored Kabul itself. Uh, so everything went fine. And I think you conquer your fears if you dive very deep early on, <laughs> then there's nothing much to fear anymore. Yeah, I agree. Okay, another question actually about growing up as well. One more. I want to speak to Dave Seminara because uh, I interviewed him on this podcast about his book, Mad Travellers. He had a chapter in there about people who don't like travel, which is quite interesting. Is like asking myself some serious questions in that chapter. But one of the most interesting things is that people who travel a lot when they're younger tend to not like it a lot when they're older, maybe because they've done it too much. So from the sounds of it, you've got just the right balance because I can see why people who are constantly moving houses or homes growing up because of their parents' jobs or whatever, that could get a bit tiresome. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't really have an opinion on that. And I'm not sure you can classify people. I think at the end of the day, everyone is very different. I do know some people of my age who started off young and never stopped. And then there's a few mm. travel legends I know. Uh, people like Hein Stücker, who went all around the world on a bicycle, he never stopped. I mean, he was away for 40 years. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, I mean, he really loved to travel, obviously. So um, I can understand that maybe people who do it early on, especially now 
you know, you've got a category of people who travel for social media purposes mm. or, you know, maybe their aim is not travel itself, but, you know, they use travel as a means to another end. Then at one point, obviously, it can tire you out. That makes sense. You know, in my case, I do feel I started later. Um, I already knew more or less what I do and what I don't like. Uh, and I had always been a very good student. I went through my student years pretty focused on my studies. You know, I wasn't mm. going left and right too much. So I think the kind of madness or quirkiness of travel set in when I was already older. And I have never tired of it. And I don't think I ever will at this stage. Yeah, and I think I'm the same as you. Maybe for a slightly different reason is that travel when I was younger, because very working class background, just seemed completely uh, unattainable. Like the mm. when you're growing up and it's pretty tough and single parent, all that, blah, blah, blah. When you've got no money, like the last thing in your mind is going on holiday. You, you need to get food on the table first yeah. and then, then work your way up, right? So I think when I got to pretty early, mid-20s, maybe the same as you, I, I feel I'm a bit of a late starter. And I thought, oh, wow, this is actually attainable myself. I can maybe work some jobs, get some money and do it. And that's why I would never tire. So it's quite interesting, these different dynamics, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting question, though. It would be nice to track people and see who does and who doesn't quit traveling in a way and see why. <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting question. One I've explored loosely this year, just by asking some certain people on the podcast. But yeah, I'm, I'm keen by people's sort of travels into travel. Like, how do they get there? Why are they not doing it now? Why are they carrying on? All these questions are quite interesting. And it's a very niche because everyone's different, I think. Yeah, well, from my experience, I mean, in the Nomad Mania community, we've got people of many different backgrounds, ages. It's a, it's a really mixed bag. But I think when people do stop traveling or they don't travel that much, it's usually because of family or health reasons, one of the two. I've yeah. never come across someone who traveled a lot and then stopped because they were like, I'm, I'm bored of it, you know. But sometimes they have a partner who doesn't like to travel that much. And then maybe, you know, it's not that they stop totally, but maybe instead of traveling for six months a year, maybe they only travel for two months a year. So mm. something like that, you know. Do you think yeah. this question is maybe fair as well, that you need a home base? To travel long term which might seem counterintuitive but what i've learned this year from leaving my job i've been traveling for one year and what i've learned is i just need going forward a home base where if i just want to say mm. tomorrow i just need a break i can go back somewhere yeah. that is mine not just having to figure something out airbnb or a hostel i don't know i yeah. feel like that's a new development for me mm. well I'm, I'm similar to you in that i've, I've been traveling now for three months non-stop Mm. And you'll be surprised to know that this is almost a record for me. I always oh, wow. go back. I may I may travel a lot, but I, I like being grounded as well <laughs> to a certain uh, degree. I I realize now, you know, I'm, I'm toward the end of my trip and I'm really, you know, I'll be happy to go back to a familiar home uh, rather than keep on traveling. Now, I know some other people, for example, who don't have a home base they sold mm. everything yeah. they live out of a backpack and they just do airbnbs you know all the time that's their life i kind of admire that but that's definitely not me um i i do need a home to go back to yeah so i've been living in a backpack essentially for a year and i just need a home so a bit like you i, I think going forward yeah. before i entertain anything of a long-term trip there has to be a home that at least come back to because i think it just 
yes yeah. you can relax fully can't you it's your place you can do what you want and ah, oh, you can leave yeah. stuff there whatever yeah, yeah. so where's where's home base for you believe it or not it's kent oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes yes so i um um yeah we're, we're not that far away actually yeah. uh yeah, uh, although Norwich is kind of far from everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, the home is Kent. I think I'm there about a hundred days a year, maybe 120 more or less. Uh, and then the rest of it, I'm either traveling. I, I do spend uh, a bit of time in Greece because my parents mm. are there, you know, but that's more or less how I divide my year up. Lovely. Okay, and that kind of goes into so when you decided that maybe travel is something you want to pursue going forward, was there a plan or was it really like hence the podcast name winging it where you might have a few ideas where to go to first after university or maybe like an area, but then how did you plan ahead? Well, again, uh, as I said already, I, I did Europe, and I think after that is when I started planning more consciously in terms of areas. I think I divided the world into areas and i tried to optimize countries that were similar or made sense to visit mm. on one trip at the same time i don't think when i started that i was really aiming for every country but uh, i remember i did one trip relatively early on to uzbekistan kyrgyzstan and kazakhstan uh, and that was in 2001 i mean again those countries back then were not mm. not visited like they are now definitely not and then i did one trip to uh lebanon syria and jordan just after september 11th i had already booked it you know and everyone was like don't go to any <laughs> any of those countries and i'm like well it's booked i'm going you know uh and and it, you know it was with some trepidation because when you've got all the media bombarding you it's difficult to say well i'm going to do my thing anyway but that trip went great um and then yeah i did i did i had a long trip to the caribbean where i ticked off all those small island nations uh, so it was very much um sort of dividing the world into regions um i did work at the time uh, i was a lecturer um in different universities so mm. i had holiday time uh you know when you teach you do get some good holiday so i could play around with that and i tried to optimize and then once i reached I'd say 130 countries, that's when I really realized I can do them all. Um, and I had left Africa, I had left a lot of countries in Africa last, which I don't recommend to anyone who seriously wants to do every country, it's better to do Africa early on. But um, for me, that's how it went. And then I took a year off work. And I basically traveled all around Africa for a year. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was it. I did them all. Oh wow, that's incredible! It's interesting you say that. I was going to ask: Do you think is what is the strategic advice you'd give if if someone's got an aim, right, to go to every country? Would you say there's like a hundred, I don't know, forty or fifty easy countries? Would you prioritize the harder ones first? Like, how would you go about it? I think the best thing is to mix and match. Also, psychologically, I mean, let's say you start with ten. You've been to ten, and then suddenly you want to do them all. I think if you put all the difficult ones together, you're going to be very tired. Mm. Uh, and you also, the difficult ones also require time. Uh, also, for example, if you go to a country where the visa is hard to get, mm -hmm. it's a shame to rush through it 
just because there's so many other countries you want to yeah. see. You know, you want to take your time. So I would do a few difficult ones early on and then give myself a psychological boost by doing a few easy ones for, if you want to see the numbers grow, you know. Uh, but I definitely leave a number of really easy ones for the end. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who's consciously doing every country and is trying to leave Italy as his last one, which oh. I think is really smart choice. I told him, but how are you going to go to San Marino without going to Italy? First? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we were, we worked out that maybe he could get a helicopter from Croatia to San Marino, <laughs> go to San Marino first and then cross into Italy. You know, we were kind of joking, but, but the idea is that you, sh I, I know also many people who've done every country and celebrated in an easy one at the end you know a country like Malta for example mm. where you know you have to want to go there to go it's not on the way so uh, a couple of travelers ended in Malta I know someone who, who ended in Ireland um, so yeah I definitely wouldn't recommend leaving Africa to the end because the African countries are the hardest in terms of visas uh, and then you've also got things like malaria to deal with. And yeah. some of them can be quite difficult anyway. I mean, Africa is not a homogeneous continent by any means. I think many of us who are not from there think, oh, Africa. But it's the countries can be extremely different. And some are very welcoming and some are not. And even neighbors can be, just like in Europe, neighbors yeah. can be very difficult, different. So I think it's important for people to try out a bit of everything uh, as they go along. And then hopefully by the time they're at 130 countries, you know, they they already know the ins and outs, what they like and what they don't, and then they can make a plan to go ahead. Yeah, very interesting. I'm reading a book at the minute called It's a Continent. Um, it's about Africa, because I've not traveled to Africa at all. I've been to 70 countries, I think, but I've never been to Africa, which is a bit of a a gripe on my own travels really but uh it's interesting because they go through every country and just tell you something about that you don't know about and um, because you're mm -hmm. right people see africa as a continent but so many countries and then different niches involved that yeah obviously you have to travel there and see it for yourself but reading something like this is a good start because it gives you an idea of the nuances between each country it's quite interesting yeah yeah it's good to read but at the same time i think you shouldn't read too much yes sometimes yeah, yeah. there's a golden mean in terms of how much you want to know and how much you want <laughs> to just experience for yourself yeah yeah i think that's just what's getting an idea of the, the, the countries that you've never been really heard of that much so um uh, but i've got some questions for some countries later in the in the episode uh i was going to mention as well very randomly that you have an interest in aviation uh, the reason, the reason I, I mentioned this because I was I was going to join the RF as, when I was younger. A choice between that or music, and at the time I chose music to go and study, which is I won't say it's a regret, but not the best decision. But hey, yeah, aviation that kind of falls into travel, doesn't it? Because I love going on planes. Yeah, I love planes. You know, it doesn't matter how I, I know nowadays it's it's even difficult to admit it because people will be like well what about the carbon footprint yes. and then yep. i look at them and I, I i don't really know what to say i mean <laughs> yeah i i get it but i really like flying anyway um <laughs> uh, and and i i still get that thrill especially when it's a big plane uh you know wide body it's still like a wow effect no matter how many times i fly yeah, I love it. The weirdest one I went to is in Greece, actually. I went between Carpathos oh. Island to Kassos Island. Ah, I haven't done that one. Seven minute flight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's interesting. Ah. You can literally see the runway from when you take off. 
Have you done the one in Scotland? What is it? West Jay? Uh, I haven't done that one either. No, it's on my list. Yeah, like secretly on my list. I don't want to say too much about aviation because, like you say, people get emotional about it. But, uh, yeah. there's, one, there's one in Tonga as well. I think it's one of the shortest ones in the world. Ah, uh, maybe islands. the one from Tonga Tapu to Ewa Island. Yes. I think that's like 10 yes. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. I did. Well, well, we started with, by talking about North Korea. Well, the second time I visited North Korea was on an aviation tour. So oh. the, the, the whole oh. point of the trip was to go to North Korea and then fly sort of ancient Soviet aircraft that are no longer available anywhere else. It was hilarious. Every day we would just go to the airport and fly somewhere else in North Korea. The whole thing was was nuts. And there was 150 people on this tour, believe it or wow. not. It was massive. Wow. Yes, yes, it was really well organized. We had a wonderful time. And I met many people I'm still in touch with from all over the world. So sometimes what seems like a crazy idea is actually a wonderful adventure. <laughs> to finish this little subject, I think my favourite one was the Cook Islands Rarotonga to the Atutaki. It's about a oh. half an hour flight, 40, 40 minutes maybe. Yeah. So the views, if you've got a clear day, wowzers. Uh, like you cut that with a many atolls or anything. Uh, yeah, kind of you, yeah, yeah, five, yeah. But my girlfriend hates flying. Not hate, little planes, should we say, but I love it. I was getting in there that like, you can barely fit in and I'm quite a big chap, so yeah, yeah, just like hunkering down. I oh, loved it. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> Great. it's another podcast, I think. <laughs> I want to go to a very interesting question that I asked Rick Gazarian on my podcast. What is a country? Ah, <laughs> okay, you're opening Pandora's box. <laughs> That's what he said, yeah. <laughs> I know we've got the UN countries, we get it. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, again, I mean, my definition <laughs> flexes itself according to need. Um. Well, I do think that the concept of a country is definitely a place which controls its own affairs. I think that is a sort of sine qua non. You've got to have control over your territory mm. and affairs. But I also think legitimacy and a certain amount of recognition are essential. And that is where things get very muddled because what is recognition, what is legitimacy, mm. you know, and then, you know, Taiwan, for example, I would consider uh, a separate entity to China because it, it's been around for what, 75 years? And mm -hmm. it definitely controls its own affairs. So I cannot say, well, just because Taiwan's not recognized by the UN, that it doesn't exist separately. It, it clearly does. Um, but then, you know, there's some other places where this becomes a bit thornier, difficult to, to explain. Uh, I think these two criteria are necessary. Um, and then, of course, to a certain extent, a distinct people uh, in terms of culture or traditions or language. But then again, you've got some countries where the people are very similar, but you've got two countries. So if you take Romania and Moldova, very mm -hmm. much of Moldova is actually very similar to Romania culturally. So, uh, you know, you've got those cases which model that as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a country is whatever you want it to be. That's my answer. Uh, and then some people make up their own countries, don't they? And you've got uh, yeah. these micro nations and no one takes them seriously. Well, that's not true. Some people do. I know someone who's counting them as a legitimate entities to be visited. So he's off to 
places like Sealand and Slojamistan and you name oh, wow. it. And, and yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, the list can be endless. So uh, that is why um, when we look at things in nomad mania, and especially when we're looking at the list of people who've done every country, we like to take the clean 193 members of the United Nations, yeah. because that one is the clearest, you know, you either are or you're not a full member of the UN. And and there the cat can't be a debate. Those are the nations. And, and that makes it clear. But the problem with that is that it discounts places like Taiwan, uh, Palestine, Palestine, yeah, uh, Kosovo, you know, and these places do have a certain amount of legitimacy, control, and also in terms of time, they've existed for a while. It's not something new that's likely to be changed. So that's also something to consider, perhaps, time. Yeah, where it came to my radar, I think, is when I when I was younger, before I really questioned that, I was like, oh, I was counting Wales, Scotland, England, they're different countries, they're <laughs> their country travel to. And then someone said, but they're not in they're not UN countries. I'm like, they're part of one. I was like, Oh, yes, I had to revise my total a little bit. That kind of got me, got me down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they are countries in football, aren't they? So, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. Even, even, <laughs> even in sports, the definitions are, are, you know, are varied. So, yeah, there you go. You, you, there, there isn't really an answer to that, yeah. Yeah, because you see different numbers on social media, don't you? Like 197 or 195, 193. It's, it's quite confusing, mm. but who doesn't really matter. But it's just like different definitions maybe confuse the non-traveler if you like ah but i thought it was 193 come back to me in a month because we're having a poll on nomad mania with that ah. question what what number do you consider the most <laughs> legitimate and we're actually giving all these answers as possibilities so let's see what the majority vote for and there we have a conclusive uh ah. you know uh, end number yeah okay yeah we are going to come to nomad mania later in the episode because i want to obviously ask some questions about it and people might not know what that is and so it's very interesting. Taiwan's an interesting one, just very quickly, because I did go there this year. I've got friends from both China and Taiwan. And they're like, oh, do I approach and say it's a country? It's really hard to like even define it when you're speaking in casual terms. So that was a great country to visit. Country, I'm calling it a country. I'm, I'm like you. Uh, but it's a touchy subject, isn't it? Well, it depends who you talk to. Yeah. I find that that the people, the, the, I think the people are quite pragmatic. Yeah. I think even the Chinese will probably admit that Taiwan is something different. You know, they cannot legitimately say, I mean, they may claim it's part of China, but clearly it's operated quite differently for for a long time. Uh, the Taiwanese will, will definitely insist that they're not China. It's a wonderful place. There's a lot of different things to see. And I recommend you go to an island called Kinmen, very little visited and that's right off the chinese coast oh, so okay. it's nowhere near taiwan it's actually you can see china from it you you need oh. to take a plane or a 10-hour ferry from the main island of taiwan and then yeah. it'll take you to kinmen and there's a lot of military history in kinmen but also uh because it's sort of a part of fujian province uh it's, it's right there so there's a lot of Fujian style buildings and some really pretty villages. So if you want something a little bit out of the ordinary, that's the place to head to. Oh, wow. Never heard of it. Wow. Okay. That's on my <laughs> list, ever-growing list. I've got a question from someone on social media who actually asked, why did you want to travel to every country in the world? Curiosity. Mm, uh, that's my answer. You, you know, you, 
you, you know you know the Olympic Games where all the countries come out one by one. Well, I wanted to have a mental image of each of these countries mm. on you know to, to say okay I can remember doing this in the Cook Islands and they are may not even be a country but I think they do participate separately in the yeah, Olympics they <laughs> so, so yeah. there you go uh, so yeah I think that that was kind of my uh my, my way when I finally got there and I I watched the Olympics and I could do that I was like I've done it you know now I can really remember every place but definitely it was curiosity more than anything else yeah it's interesting I'd say curiosity because when I was younger I used to watch Tom and Jerry, so a bit, bit of an old school oh, yeah. cartoon. And there's one episode when they go to Hawaii, and you look at the Hawaiian music, and you got the Palm Beach, and it's so unattainable, yeah. as I said earlier. It's like, what is that place actually like? And I used to like read maps and atlases and stuff like that. So I think I'm always searching for the next, like, oh, is that paradise? Is that paradise? I'm always interested in island nations, <laughs> especially like in the South Pacific or the Indian Ocean. Like, oh, what are those places like? So, as well as the people, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of Hawaii? I actually loved it. Like Lanakai Beach was awesome, uh, but it wasn't quite as paradise as I probably imagined. Cook Islands was definitely that. Um, actually, yeah, yeah. I guess it's closer. Yeah. Have you been to Tuvalu yet? No. So I've actually got a South Pacific question actually later in, in the episode. The, that South Pacific area, which is huge, like uh, how do I go to these places? Like, it's a logistical nightmare from my perspective. Maybe it's not. But these are little islands. I'd love to go to them to speak to the people and see what it's like. But I haven't been, no. Yeah. Well, definitely that should be on your list more than okay. any other. So really? Okay. We'll add it on. <laughs> uh, what type of traveler are you? Are you like a bit of a backpacker? Are you sort of mid-budget? Are you a bit of a luxury traveler these days? How do you define or has it changed over years, do you think? It has definitely changed. So, um, well, first of all, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't pigeonhole myself uh, ever, and especially not now. Uh, mm. I like to be very versatile, and I think I still am. Uh, you know, I can do anything, and I often do. So uh, I would say I'm middle of the road in terms of budget overall. Uh, I can stay in some really economical places sometimes, and sometimes I may go for a really good hotel. Um, I also like Airbnbs and, and I have done couch surfing in the past. So definitely the whole range there. Um, I wouldn't call myself a backpacker. I never have been, but I'm definitely an independent traveler. Uh, I prefer traveling solo most mm -hmm. of the time. Uh, lately, um, like in the past years, uh, Nomad Mania has organized a few trips and got some small groups together. And I find I do enjoy that. But deep, deep down, I'm, I'm definitely a lone wolf. And I find that when I'm alone, I can concentrate more on the place uh, and, and on really understanding the people and observing. If I'm traveling with other people, sometimes I'm giving too much of my attention to them. Um, uh -huh. Apart from that, yeah, um, yeah, and and then again, in terms of how I travel, uh, I think this has evolved as well. Now I'm finding that I'm a bit more of a slow traveler, uh, spending more time in the same country. I just spent a whole month in Japan. I think the earlier, younger Harry would never do that. You know, I'd spend a few days and then cross the border, hop off to somewhere else. 
but um now now I like to take my time more and I guess that's also <laughs> getting older you know you you may not want to rush things or you you just don't have the stamina to rush things like uh, like you did when you were younger uh, I I'm the same I think slow travel is the is the future uh, I think this year has been way too fast for me uh, I'm only mid-30s but I think slow travel is the dream because you're under no constraint to get anywhere anytime to a degree yeah. uh, but that has its challenges you know income and being able to take that much yeah. time off and stuff like that yeah obviously i think one of the things about trying to do every country is that you end up inevitably rushing through a lot of them yeah just because you want to get the numbers up and i i realize now a bit the error of my ways i mean i did it too too fast and if I could go back, I think I would have spent more in each country and really taken the time. Uh, and I'm trying to do that as much as I can now. Yeah, I think Drew Binsky said that when he got to his last country. And then he's like, now he's traveling better because it's not, it's not a thing he has to achieve anymore. Mm. He can go to any country and yeah. take as long as he wants. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, which is quite interesting because he's, uh, he's younger than me. So he's obviously done it quite fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think again people who do it when they're in their 20s or early 30s and i i, I finished them when i was 36 back mm. then you know that that was still the early days i think uh, i must have been perhaps about the 40th person who who did every country now there's almost 300 or perhaps even more again depends on how you count them but um you know um again i think i did it too young so people who are older they have more time hopefully and then at the other end you've got some people who are in their late 70s and have not given up and still managed mm. to do every country and i love that yeah yeah i love the enthusiasm for that that's great also does that mean that if you complete early on i know you said you rushed through the, the the 193 uh does that mean it gives you a bit more time to think about the obscure places uh, not countries or they could be as i define it but I'm talking places like, I don't know, Buda Island, for example, or Tristan da Cunha, like these obscure, faraway places. Now you've been to every country in brackets, like you can now concentrate on the harder ones that are not country specific, but, you know, are quite hard mm. to get to. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me, displaying all my social media content for traveling podcast and other stuff thank you well i mean in my case i founded nomad mania and nomad mania divides the world into 1301 pieces mm. so i mean compare that to the countries and you've got so much more yeah. to do so uh, i definitely have been kept occupied all these years <laughs> with all these uh, different regional divisions or places um and it does i mean obviously once you've done 193 and and uh, then you have more time to enjoy perhaps the things that you really like the interesting things i really like villages 
sort of nice, pretty, cozy villages or culturally interesting villages. So that's one of my interests. And some of these places are difficult to get to out of the way. So uh, now I'm focusing partially on those. I also like bizarre sites and, and luckily there's no end of those. So you've got, you know, things like the world's biggest egg or I don't know, <laughs> car or whatever. I mean, there's loads of those, especially in the States, but everywhere. Here yeah. in Korea, there's a place called Peanuts Park. I I admit I didn't go. I, I didn't have the time yet, but, you know, it's like a park full of phallic symbols. So uh, these quirky, <laughs> quirky places are, are definitely uh, amusing to visit. And uh, and we list them also on Nomad Mania ah, for ease okay. of if you if you really like these then you know there's an endless there's like a list of 500 of them um and and you can try ticking those off yeah yeah because across canada we went to the is it the biggest axe in the world like strange quirky <laughs> things yeah 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 i love that another question you mentioned interestingly so do you predominantly travel solo do you say then you think mm. and that's very interesting because a lot of people are fearful of that aren't they I suppose so. But then again, as I said, I'm an only child and that gives you some specific advantages in this <laughs> regard. You kind of learn to be alone and to do things independently. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely not afraid to to go alone. I'm I'm, I'm more fearful of going in a group because uh, some people sometimes people talk a lot and I, I yeah that I don't handle very well if someone is talking non-stop or then you you might be with someone obnoxious in a group and I try to be diplomatic and polite like most Brits <laughs> but uh but you know so when you're alone there are no such risks uh you know what you're getting yourself into yeah I learned a lot this year about tour groups I've done a first tour group travel this year I thought you know what, I'll try it I oh. don't think I'll enjoy it but let's go for it so i don't know lebanon and i went with a portuguese tour group they're great uh, i think they're called 100 yeah. rotus wagon uh anyway they were a lovely group they tried to speak english to me the tour guide who, li who lives in lebanon he spoke english he lives in bournemouth for 10 years so he spoke a bit oh, of arabic lovely. but portuguese english so i got the the full tour because he could explain stuff to me but what i did struggle with is there's a constant uh criteria every day right we'll start this time do this time and then some days i just had to mm just take myself away which I thought oh is that the right thing to do in a group tour I'm not sure uh, but I just had yeah. to because it's too much it's not against anyone it's just the whole dynamic of like you say someone's talking too much or it's too intense it's too fast-paced I did struggle a little bit yeah well there's always you know pros and cons in that obviously if you're traveling in a group it's going to be cheaper uh, and you will have that piece of social interaction to make sure you don't feel lonely. Uh, mm. And also there's a safety net in the more dangerous countries. I think it may be very wise to travel in the small group, especially if you've got a local expert as well. Mm. But but ultimately, the freedom of traveling on your own where you don't need to compromise at all. And, you know, if you find yourself in a place you really enjoy, you can just say, well, I'm going to stay here for a couple of days because I yeah. like it and I don't need to give an explanation to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah. always trade-offs in life. But I think solo is a little bit unrivaled. I think you're right. It's, it's the freedom. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say it too loud because I do travel with my girlfriend quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the last question you got to on your 193 was Equatorial Guinea. Now, was that planned yes. or was it just the way it worked out? 
Equatorial Guinea at the time was one of the hardest visas to get. Uh, it still is relatively hard, but back then it was near impossible. So, I mean, it wasn't planned as such. I had left a lot of Africa, uh, and then gradually I went, you know, to every other African country. And then I found myself left with Equatorial Guinea because I hadn't managed to get the visa. Um, and yeah, it took me a while to find a way to get it. It was not easy at all. But once I figured it out, yeah, obviously I, I went and it was my last one. So I'd say it wasn't a deliberate choice. It was more a, a choice because of the difficulty of going. And when you went uh, with the last country aside, was there anything about the country that surprised you or that you really liked, that maybe you could tell people? In Equatorial Guinea? Well, let me tell you what happened there. So in order to get the visa, I followed the strategy of make your problem everybody's problem. And, and the way I did that is literally everyone I met, I, I would be like, you don't by any chance know someone who has any connections to Equatorial Guinea. And I literally did that to everyone I knew. And in the end, the, the person who came through for me was my mother, who also oh. started this strategy. And she asked everyone she knew, and a friend of hers was dating this gentleman who had a company which did business with Equatorial Guinea. And one thing, you know, one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I had the visa, you know, thanks to him. I got, I got a nice, nice business visa, bless him. And and what happened is because there was a team of that company in Equatorial Guinea, they took care of me. It ended up being the easiest trip I had ever done because I flew straight from Spain to Equatorial Guinea. And then the, the people of the company were waiting for me at the airport to drive mm. me to the hotel. They didn't really know why, like, why I was there. So this the, this boss who who was my contact had told them this guy is coming and you take care of him and they told me that they thought I was coming to check on them or that oh. like there was some quality control involved I mean they didn't know so they were being super attentive and and it was hilarious because of all the countries in Africa Equatorial Guinea was the easiest in the end um, <laughs> and one of the surprises there was was um, going into a Chinese thrift store and having the, the Chinese lady talk Spanish to me, which is the official language. I'll never, never forget Gracias with the Chinese accent. You know, that was just <laughs> outlandish. Yeah. I've got some countries here that I might ask a few questions because they're based on sort of personal ones. It's quite rare to speak to someone who's been to every place. So the first one is that I think more recognized now is Turkmenistan. Is it a group tour situation there or can you go independently? I've been uh, twice, uh, and I've, both times I've been on my own, but with a guide. So pre-organizing my own trip. Yeah. I don't know what the situation is now. Everyone I know now who's going is going with a group or a mm. fixer or pre-organizing it. The difficulty with Turkmenistan is the visa. They seem to be a little bit... Um, you know, picky. Yeah. Uh, it's not always easy. Even when I went the second time, the agency I went with were quite um, hesitant. They were like, you know, don't be upset if you're rejected, which I wasn't. But then some other people I know have been, and you never know why. Uh, 
Turkmenistan itself is one of the quirkier countries around. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth a visit. Definitely. It's it's unique. And you went to the door to hell, I assume, on your tour there? I did. I did. Yes. Is that as grand as you see in the pictures? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is. It, it's again, uh, it's one of those iconic sites. If you're in Turkmenistan, you kind of have to go. That It yeah. would be silly not to. Uh, I, I don't know if it's that unmissable I, I think perhaps because we've already seen all the photos you know yeah. you know what to expect so then the wow effect isn't really that big but it's definitely worth going and then it's a fun place what I find interesting in Turkmenistan well in Ashgabat especially it almost seems to be totally sucked out of any atmosphere I have never been to a place oh. which has little it's it's like they took all the atmosphere and hooked <laughs> it out, and and the like the people, uh, they're friendly and all, but it seems to me they're totally robotic. Robotic, uh, even say, yeah, even more so than North Korea. Uh, oh, wow. I just I can't. I, I'm not sure I can put it quite into words. You've got to be there to understand what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but but the rest of the country isn't like that. Um, that would because because you know the further out you go, the more the towns and the, and the especially the countryside are closer to the Soviet past because they haven't yet been erased. So you're going to get more sort of Soviet, which is more familiar in a way. You know, it hasn't mm. changed that. Yeah, because that's the capital city, right? That you you would have never to be landed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it has all this unbelievable architecture, yeah. uh, a lot of which is really pleasant on the eye. I mean, a lot of the things there are truly impressive and they will make you go, wow, you know, very, very, you know, make make sure you've got plenty of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, mobile phone uh, memory because you're going to need it with all the uh, pictures you're going to be taking in Ashgabat. Yeah. Interesting. I think the reason I put it on there is because, you know, when you think of countries, uh, people that you might meet traveling elsewhere, I don't think I've ever met someone from Turkmenistan. So I'm like, ah, oh, the intrigue is high there. Yeah, that's interesting as well. I haven't thought of that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never met anyone from Turkmenistan outside of Turkmenistan. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Like I bet you like an Uzbek or uh, even a Tajikistan person, but like not never Turkmenistan. It's just a mm. song there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, it, well, it is definitely the outliers. So the other four stands are, are much more accessible. We don't need visas for them anymore. You know, mm. they're much easier to get in and, and out of. And uh, and I would say the people are much more open as well. In Turkmenistan, I think the people, in all fairness, that they're probably afraid. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what their situation is, but they are not going to be very open with you. They'll do their job and that's it. You know, in the other countries, they're much warmer. Oh, okay. That's a good tip. Okay. Next country. These are random. Uh, Central African Republic. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Minimal knowledge here for me. So um, it's really stab in the dark. Maybe something surprising or interesting uh, experience that you experienced there, maybe on your year in Africa. <laughs> Okay, well, Central African Republic is possibly one of the harder places to go to, one of the more dangerous. Uh, it, it, it's an odd place uh, 
it's really the center of Africa in more yeah. ways than one. Um, well, what, what happened to my, the second time I went, I was in a group with another three uh, travelers, and one of them was the, uh, you know, the very famous, or should I say, infamous William Bakeland. Who oh, I'm wow. sure you okay. yeah, yeah. In, yeah. The, in the book by Dave Seminara. Anyway, so there were four of us, and we ended up being detained in a small town called Berberati because one of us inadvertently took a, the photograph of the bank and and the whole thing was just weird and bizarre uh, it's a, a bit of a scary country central african republic the the site to definitely not miss is the ruins of the palace the former palace of their emperor so central african republic had an emperor as leader in the 60s and early 70s and he was a total nutcase apparently and there are rumors that he was even a cannibal and ate some of his rivals but uh the ruins of his palace are really worthwhile they're about an hour out of the capital and it is accessible and he even has his initials on the gate so uh i think his name was bocasa so there's a b you know, the, the the gate sort of forms bees everywhere because that was his residence. That's probably the only real site in the country with the exception of a waterfall. And if anyone is going there, I'd, I'd really recommend that you do that one with a guide or a group. The first time I went, I went totally alone. Uh, wow. And I didn't, I didn't have any really negative experiences but it, it was just you know i kept on being harassed in in the town you know people wanted money everywhere it was it, it, it's not a very pleasant country let's put it that way and it's been plagued by endless civil wars and even now i think a bit of it is under rebel administration i don't know no one really knows okay very interesting a completely different part of the world the next country is Nauru. <laughs> oh, one of my favourites. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. Okay, I did not know that. Um, maybe tell listeners where, where the hell that is uh, in the sort of Pacific region and why is it one of your favourites? Okay, well, it's 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 one of my favourites for all the wrong reasons. Uh, so, and, and I recently wrote um, my second book, which is a work of fiction. It's an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery starring the travel community, different people in them. And anyway, I end up getting murdered in Nauru. I gave myself that <laughs> gift. Uh, um, so... Um, yeah, why do I like Nauru? Well, it's first of all because it literally is in the middle of nowhere. This is a lone island. It's only 21 square kilometers. You can walk, and I did. You can walk around the whole country, the island. It took me four hours and 15 minutes to do that. So uh, there is a sort of perimeter, and you can walk around. Uh, it is... I don't know how to explain its location. It's sort of four hours flight northeast of Brisbane mm -hmm. and three hours flight northwest of Fiji in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, it does have an airport. It does have an airline, which has one plane, I think. Um, you can fly there, but it does require a visa, which make, may already makes it a difficult country. It's the only country in the Pacific which requires a visa from most nationalities. Uh, 
And that visa is quite hard to get because there's no real embassy. You need to do it all online. They require a hotel reservation, but there aren't any hotels on Booking.com. So you need to kind of navigate through all this bureaucracy in order to get this visa. Then once you're there, you know that you are thousands of miles away from anywhere. Um, you're probably one of the very few foreigners there. Um, and there are things to see. The locals are quite friendly. What I particularly liked in Nauru, I was there just a few months ago. Um, it was one of my last countries on my second round the world. Mm -hmm. um, I went to the local post office because I wanted to get some stamps. I thought Nauru is a good country to buy stamps from. And they had all these stamps of British, the British royal family. So the Queen Mother, Diana, all these, you know, Nauru issued stamps from the 1980s or whenever. And I thought this is amazing, you know, that they actually issued these stamps. Um, you can rent a bicycle and also cycle around the whole country. You know, there's not many countries where you can say you cycled around the mm. whole country. But in Nauru, you really can do that. So I both walked around it and cycled around it. And I recommend it, but it is very hot. So you need to do that either early in the morning or very late in the day. Um, and yeah, it is quirky. It used to be quite rich because they had phosphate reserves, but they depleted them all. And that's when their economy crashed. Mm -hmm. And they are more known now for a detention center which has been agreed on with the Australian government. Uh, and that is very okay. controversial. And so Nauru also has a bit of a darker side because of this detention center where all of these asylum seekers from Iran and Sri Lanka have been banished to. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a quirky place. What happened to me when I was leaving the country, um, <laughs> the immigration guy actually asked me, so what number country is Nauru for you? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, it was like, okay, he knows why I'm here. Yeah. Um, I did. Uh, so, yeah, obviously they know when they get lone visitors from random places who are not there on business that they are probably counting countries. It's quite an unusual country because for the Pacific Islands, there's normally quite a lot, isn't there? It's like 20 or 30 or 100 islands for that one country. But mm. Nara is literally one island and that is it. Yeah, it's quite unique. Yeah, that's and it. Is it classical, like, you know, got the, the beaches, like the Pacific beaches and stuff like that there, or is it really not like that? No, there, there are a couple of beaches. The thing is that because there's a sort of... Um, outer layer so the, the the waves crash and then they're sort of corals or whatever they are which means it's not really that easy to swim it's not like mm. you've got a nice ocean where you can where you can just plunge inside there are some nice sandy areas but i don't know swimming there it's very windy and wavy i, I wouldn't i'm not sure you know okay <laughs> i didn't realize it had such a story when you go through the 193 you think oh that's an unusual country to, to even read it's about. It's very so. unusual. It's also, uh, I think it's the country with the smallest population of all the 193. Okay. I think it's a couple of hundred smaller than Tuvalu in terms of population. Yeah. Right. Okay. On your second time around, the, the 193, what was the last country that you chose for yourself then? 
<laughs> it was Equatorial Guinea again. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> that again was not entirely <laughs> deliberate, but but I ended up with Equatorial Guinea in the final five, and then I decided, oh, to hell with it. I'm going to have it be the last one once again. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I did that. That's this funny. was in June. It was just a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. that is quite funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a Patreon shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers, who has contributed £5 to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. And it helps the podcast to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my Patreon. The website address is patreon.com forward slash we're going to travel podcast for five english pounds you will receive some trendy stickers from myself and the post a shout out on each episode and also my digital travel planner by email thank you for your support do you know mike spencer bound traveled to every country in the uh, world? Uh, yeah yes i do i do know of him we've never met okay. but i i know of him and i owe him my visit to Mogadishu. So I am very thankful. To, oh, okay. He, Interesting. Had, he went to Mogadishu in 2011, a few months before me. And at the time, everyone used the Lonely Planet. What was it called? Thorn Tree or something. So, you know, that was the way to find out about travel. And he had posted some very useful information, which I used to plan my trip to Mogadishu. So. In his book, he just said, he left Ireland last, which is quite a nice place to finish, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah, I think he's still traveling. I think he's still in Europe. I think somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. one of those who will always be traveling. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Mm. A question I have here is: to say you've been to a country, is there specific requirements? This might come back to nomad mania as well, with how long you stay there or if you spend money mm. there. Is there specific rules with that? Well, I'll I'll give you the nomad mania rules, which were in fact. Uh, something that we took very seriously and ultimately we had a poll to to determine these. Mm -hmm. So we came up with two polls, in fact, with many different scenarios of visits and people could choose yes or no, you know, it is or it isn't a visit. Mm -hmm. So according to Nomad Mania, sort of airports are definitely a no-no. You cannot claim you've been to a country even if you've crossed immigration. So, you know, getting a stamp, but just pottering about Heathrow, that's not going to do it. You've got to go beyond that. In general, just so that I don't make this too long, you've got to have a, a meaningful experience. Now, that in itself sounds a bit <laughs> too vague. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be meaningful and you don't even need to cross immigration. But, um, you know, you've got to have a meaningful experience uh, within the country, probably, I would say, rule of thumb, experience something major of that country, a major site, uh, whether it's natural or, or man-made, you know, see something that matters, you know, just going and grabbing a beer, um, you know, next to the airport might be meaningful if you end up interacting with the locals and having, mm. you know, then mm. you can have a memory and you can say, okay, I met this guy and he told me this story. Well, then you have in a way experienced the country, you know. Uh, and in terms of time, we don't really give a time frame because countries really vary. And I think it's not fair to say you've got to stay that long because in a country like 
Dan Marino or Liechtenstein, and no no offense to those small countries, but you know, I think you can do pretty well with a few hours and and that's fine. But yeah, we require much more than just uh, you know, stepping out of a train station or crossing a country by car without, you know, doing anything. Yeah. Me and my friends done a little week trip early this year, and the idea was the micro nations in Europe, can we go to each one uh, without flying? Ah. Which we didn't actually achieve that well uh, due to time. But uh, yeah, the, the, the rule was to say we've been there was to stay a night. So it's hard. Yes. Back, in, yeah. back in city, you can't really stay a night in there, I don't think. So Rome was the, the qualification for that. We went yeah. there the whole day. So I guess that mm, But that is out. Vatican a country? It's not in the 193. So it's that 19, again. Is it in 195? It is in 195. Yes, yeah. it's got the observer status. Right. Right. Well, there is the Danish Travelers Club. Uh, have that rule of a 24-hour stay. So they actually uh, okay. count 24 hours. It's not just an overnight, but they will say, you know, if you uh, if you enter at 11 a.m., you need to stay until the next day at 11 a.m. And that's what... But then again, <laughs> I, you know, I, I look at it from my own experience. So again, not, not deliberately, but I had been to Slovenia 15 times without ever sleeping there. Uh, just okay. because I always entered Slovenia, I, I, I had many friends in Croatia and we used to mm. go for a day trip to different places in Slovenia. A couple of times I came in from Italy. So, I mean, 15 times I've been there. And can you really tell me I haven't visited Slovenia? Yeah. I mean, eventually, eventually I did end up spending a night there. But, uh, you know, I think that there might be all these different combinations. So it's a bit uh, unwieldy to have too strict a criterion but at the same time in the past people would transit Jeddah airport and say I've been to Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and, and because that was a notoriously difficult visa you know people would try to get around it that way and I'm like no no you know you can't you can't claim it, it to me that sounds silly that is silly I think it's always subjective as a problem right when it's not clear black and white there's yeah. People are going to tell well, you that they had a meaningful experience here having to be outside the airport. But <laughs> for me, I'm like, oh, that's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what surprises me a bit with a community is that some people like to fool themselves. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. like, you know what? The, at the end of the day, the only one you're fooling is yourself. Have you yeah. really, can yeah. you really tell me what that country is about? So I think, you know, as I grow older, I realize that all of these questions are a little bit silly because if you like to travel you should just end up spending as much time as possible in a place rather than trying to rush through it and you know get you know quick visits and quick ticks uh in in ways that are not really meaningful yeah totally agree with that absolutely agree i think that's partly our rule with the micro nations in europe because that's so small even spending two nights there is quite a lot you know in san marino for two nights i think we're there I mean, you, you do see pretty much a lot, but like two nights in in China is not a lot, right? So, <laughs> I've, I've never slept. I've never slept in San Marino. I've been there four times, okay. but I've never actually spent the <laughs> night there. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, I've got some of the questions here, which kind of relates to Nemomania. Where I get into that is, I saw on your profile on there that you've got one last UN plus area to go to. Mm. What is that yes, area? That is Tokelau. Uh, which okay. is uh, in the middle of the Pacific again. Tokelau is north of Samoa, 
and it is a territory of New Zealand. So it's administered okay. by New Zealand, but it is autonomous. And obviously, uh, this is a Polynesian nation. There are three islands, all of them very small. I think the total population of all three islands is about 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Though it's very, very small. It's difficult to get to, very hard. And they've got stringent visa requirements, which became even stricter due to COVID. And I don't even know what, you know, and then there's a boat which sometimes goes, but it's very unreliable. It's it's one of the holy grails for a lot of the people. It's one of the ah, trickier right. places. Yeah. Okay. What do you think is the trickiest place that you have traveled to? Ooh. <laughs> Well, there's a number of them. Um, again, it depends on how you define a place. If we're looking at nomad mania regions, um, I think there's a couple of regions uh, which are technically uh, in the Arctic mega region. They are islands north of Russia. They are part okay. of Russia. Uh, yeah. So uh, like Franz Josef Land. But even further on, you've got Novaya Zemlya and Severnaya Zemlya. These are islands, essentially, that go all the way, you know, north, very cold. You need to be on an expedition ship to visit them. Uh I suppose now, because of the political situation, that's probably not doable. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky enough to be on a ship uh, doing those in 2016 and that's quite a voyage i mean it's an it's fascinating we saw polar bears it's very cold and and we went in july so it we never saw night for oh, a whole yeah, month it yeah. was just daytime yeah yeah so I, w- I would say those those regions are really uh very difficult to get to okay and have you been to tristan de kuna just a little interest of mine i have I have, yeah. Is that difficult or yes, is that, that relatively easy? Well, it <laughs> I wouldn't call it easy. The problem with Tristan de Cunha is that there's always a chance you're not gonna land because of oh, bad because weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's a bit of a gamble because again, you depend on the ship. Uh, there is the official ship that goes in from Cape Town mm-hmm. a few times a year, and I guess that one will definitely get you there. But right. if you do go on that, then you might have to spend a number of weeks on Tristan de Cunha, which is probably a bit too much for anybody's liking. <laughs> so if you're going to go, again, if you're going to book a trip on an expedition to go there, yeah. you know, if the seas, if the weather gods are, are not on your side, then you may end up not landing. So that that makes it difficult because of that. But I, I wouldn't call impossible though okay is that technically the most remotely most uh, island yeah uh, i think so yes yeah. yes tristan okay. de cunha is the most remote inhabited place in the world yeah it's on my list another list okay <laughs> yeah an interesting question any oh it's quite broad because you've been so many places i've got like is there any areas or regions that you just didn't like or you'd never go back to i'm not, I'm not talking about like difficulty of getting there i mean just like the experience or the vibe or you know what? I'm going to say no, and that's not because I like everywhere equally. Far mm. from it. But I think, first of all, you never know if your opinions were the result of your own shortcomings. And maybe, uh, I mean, mm. I'm human, and that means that sometimes I'm just not in the mood. And then, you know, if I'm traveling and I'm just, you know, not in a very good mood, obviously everything will be annoying yeah. uh, no matter what. So 
there are some places where I feel, yeah, I, I don't like them. But then I'm like, was I maybe the one to make it negative rather uh -huh. than it being objectively so? Obviously, places like war zones and stuff are not nice to be in mm. or, you know, or even after the war, you know, if you've got devastation and, and people who are hungry or, or really poor, I mean, this is never pleasant, but at the same time, I think you can always make a difference in those cases, which mm. means that your, your trip is worthwhile. So I would say a hundred percent. No, there's nowhere I wouldn't go again. Uh, given the opportunity. There are some places I wouldn't go to now for political reasons. I just, you know, I um, don't think it's correct. It sends the wrong message to go to certain places um, at this historical time, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't go at another better time. Yeah, I get you. That's quite an interesting topic, that, isn't it? I think those sort of personal morals about going to certain countries because of the political situation, because mm. some people just park the side and just go anyway because they feel like that's not really a thing but i guess some people also covid was a thing as well where should you go but people still travel yes. right? it's an interesting debate yeah yeah well the morality of it is always difficult and i think at the end of the day i don't believe in the blanket morality mm. um you know people should decide for themselves more or less what is right and what isn't um yeah, I mean, inevitably, others will sometimes criticize. But uh, yeah, I think if you're going to travel, you should feel okay with yourself doing it. That's important. Agreed. Okay, uh, I've got a random question. Here. Have you met any presidents, royalty or heads of state on your travels? Well, I <laughs> when we were traveling in Nigeria, we bumped into someone who claimed that he was the king of Owo. And Owo is this area uh, in Nigeria. And he actually did give us the guided tour of the presidential palace, which is not a palace in the way that we might yeah. understand Buckingham Palace. You know, it <laughs> is building. But he did show me, the. he did show us the picture of his grandfather with the queen who oh, had visited okay. Nigeria in 1956. So that is when I thought, okay, his credentials are real, you know. Uh, so so I would say he really was the, the <laughs> king, and he was very friendly. He was just, a, you know, an ordinary guy. We, we just happened to be there and stopped to see the structure, and he was like, oh, foreigners, you know, come along in. So that was, uh, I think he's the only one I can really say I've, I've met, as far as I remember. Okay, it's funny. I can imagine you asking for ID. I need some ID here. Like, are you really like, the, <laughs> the king? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I accidentally bumped into the president of Vanuatu when I went to check in with my girlfriend. Ah, um, wonderful. How was, was that? Well, it's the strangest occurrence. Like, we we just turned up into the airport with this like fanfare that didn't really twig. Really, this group got off. I just didn't twig that it could be someone important, and then we got our taxis to the hotel. And we're checking in, you know, I'm a bit of a backpacker, so like small backpack in shorts, probably not washed for a day or something, right? And then suddenly all these dancers start appearing from nowhere, like let's get the champagne out, there's dancers, the, the management was sort of standing in a semicircle, and then suddenly this entourage turns up. So the person who's checking us in, like, who's this? It's like, oh, that's the president. It's like, oh, God. So <laughs> he came in with his police chief, army chief, navy chief, his family. This is like dance going on. And the, the scene, if you're flying the wall and, and you're sort of filming the scene, you would see his entourage looking forward. 
with the dancers and the champagne flowing and that. And to the left, there's a couple of random backpackers checking in. It's the, str- <laughs> the strangest <laughs> situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then next morning, I, I, I sort of said, hello, how you doing, Mr. President? And he said, yeah, not too bad. Like, how's, how's your stay? So I had a little chat with him. Yeah. <laughs> Side story. I don't know if you know that Vanuatu has been taken off the Schengen list of countries. Like, they now need a visa for Schengen. Because apparently ah. uh, they, they have this program for second citizenship and possibly some dodgy people got a Vanuatu passport and the EU ah. decided Vanuatu is no longer eligible for visa-free travel. Uh, this is just a total side note that Very not known. many people yeah. may know about. Yeah. No, no. Oh, <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. I've got here any emergency evacuations that you've had to do or leave quickly. No, no, knock on wood. I'm, I'm, I'm really healthy. I've never had any major issues. Um, I've never been in the middle of a coup or a government mm. change or any earthquake or anything. No, not so far. Okay. And any near-death experiences, like maybe like an experience or a travel experience? Or... No, no, no air crashes. No, no, it's <laughs> boring. Boring. I've, I can only say I've been to to prison. That's it. Oh, uh, you know, okay. else. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Okay. And these are just like sort of random questions, really. Ever been sort of mugged or robbed of your stuff? Maybe lost a passport? Uh, yes, I did lose my passport once. Uh, I think I know how. You know how I put my mobile phone and my passport in my pocket together, and then I think I was taking my phone out to take a photograph of something mm. and i think my my passport just fell and i didn't i didn't notice it but i was all right because um i had my id and this was in italy so i could oh, get okay. around with ID uh instead and and then i just applied for a new passport eventually so that wasn't as disastrous once i thought i had lost my passport in ethiopia and I really panicked. Mm. Uh, but then I found it the next morning. It had fallen under the bath mat in the bathroom. So as I was changing <laughs> to get go have a shower, somehow the passport fell out of the pocket and managed to hide itself under the bath mat. Yeah, that was scary, though. You do not want to lose a passport in an African country. But yeah. Yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine certain countries that you could probably get away with it, but some countries not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you travel in terms of luggage? Are you a light traveler? Are you a bit of a suitcase person, a rucksack? Like any specifics there? <laughs> Super light uh, backpack. Uh, I'll only take a suitcase if it's a, sh- uh, a long trip on a ship, mm. you know, like a month long, and then you really don't have much of a choice. But otherwise, even if I'm traveling for a month or so, it's going to be just with the backpack. Uh, and okay. I will recycle the clothes. Uh, I barely carry anything. I have my laptop. Uh, I do still have a camera. Um, yeah. And that is like the second little tiny camera case. And that's it. Yeah, very simple. Okay. And how do you journal your travels? Are you a writer? Are you uh, maybe dictaphone? Anything like that? No, I don't journal them anymore. Uh, yeah. And I'm not much of a social media user either. Mm-hmm. So it's just all in my head. What I do have, I have an Excel sheet with all my flights. 
uh, because you know the inner geek has to be alive, and of course <laughs> I do, <laughs> and I do register my every trip on Nomad Mania, so yes. region by region, yeah. and I I do sometimes use Nomad Mania to remember when I was at a particular place, you know, mm-hmm. because I've got them all there per year, uh, but that's it. Um, otherwise, no. Okay, and before we get to Nomad Mania, my question here: if, it, if it's three areas or regions tomorrow. So no questions asked. You can go on expeditions or there's a special trip going somewhere. Where would you go? What top three would you go to? Maybe these could be ones you've been to before or even new ones you've not been to. Oh, oof, what a question. OK, I would go tomorrow. And again, this is based a lot on my mood currently being yeah. in Korea, which means I'm a little bit tired of the local cuisine so i would go to turkey because i love the food and i really miss you know some of the nice meat there and some of the nice desserts so that would be one uh i would go to ethiopia which is always a favorite because it's so culturally diverse and welcoming it's also geographically very diverse mm-hmm. and in order to give some variety uh, well, I would go to the USA because I need to go there before the next election because who knows what's going to happen there. So I might as well go tomorrow. We're going to go to Nomad Mania. We mentioned it quite a lot in this episode. Uh, I'd like you to tell people what is the idea of the site? Uh, how do people join and how does it enhance people's travels and yeah, even your travels maybe? Okay, well, Nomad Mania has been around for a while, and obviously its purpose has evolved over the years. The The basic initial concept was that countries are not enough. Countries deserve more than just being ticked. Yeah. So we found a way to try to divide the world into regions in a way which makes uh, gives every country um, its true worth based on both itself and other countries around it. So let's say a small country like Slovenia will have two regions. Korea, where I am now, South Korea has six regions. Uh, And that means that, you know, you you can discover every region. So what what happens on Nomad Mania, we don't look at countries, we look at regions. Obviously, in some things, they are grouped by country, but every region has its page. And the idea is, in a way, to educate. If you go to the regional page of, say, Northeast Korea region, you will see its map, and then there's a whole list of things you can see and do. We curate that. Um, we have that in categories. So we've got a thing we call series. There are about 70 series, things like caves, aquariums, bizarrium. We've got things like aviation museums, you know, lists <laughs> and stuff. So uh so depending on what you like, you can find it there. Um, and that is the main concept is for people to both document their travels uh, in a way in, in the form of a diary, maybe if if they do it correctly, to then also see how far they've gone visually, because we've got maps where these are represented um, and to be educated by learning uh, more about each of these uh, under visited places. We are a nonprofit and we provide travel scholarships for people who have never traveled outside their country. We have helped, let's say, um, 
We recently gave a couple of scholarships to two students from Rwanda yeah. who went to Tanzania. They had their first flight. They went to Tanzania. And for us, we're like, ah, oh, Rwanda, Tanzania, they're quite similar. But no, no, these girls went to Tanzania. And they're like, it's so hot here. We never <laughs> experienced such heat. Or something as simple as like they had never seen the ocean before. So these are yeah. extremely, mm. you know, you would never think of that. But these things really make a difference. So we really believe in trying to make travel a bit more democratic. We also do organize our own trips. We're not an agency and we don't make money, but what we do is we find local helpers in sort of difficult or challenging places. And what we do is bring the group together. Mm. You know, we advertise and our members might join. And then we have the local expert who runs this. So, uh, you know, we, we did go to Ukraine in October and we had a very me meaningful trip there. Um, you know, uh, and the locals were really welcoming there. They really appreciated us being there. And we also do our annual travel awards where we have um, nominees who are maybe not even part of Nomad Mania. So we look at the whole travel world and we nominate, like our members nominate people and we give different awards in categories. So we are also for fun in a way. So it's a bit of fun, a bit of education, and it is a community through Nomad Mania. A lot of people have met and then they continue traveling together and meeting each other. So there's a lot of that social aspect as well. And do you hold many events throughout the year where people can maybe join you? Uh, we do. We do. And there's going to be more as of next year. Uh, so I would say we have maybe four to five trips a year in very diverse places. Some are very easy. So uh, we're, we're having a long weekend on the Arland Islands, if you've heard of them. That's an archipelago of Finland. Right. So it's not. It's not difficult, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a nice long weekend. Um, and then, of course, some trips are difficult. And we do meetings, uh, the regional meetings for our local communities as well. Mm -hmm. And then we, we occasionally have a conference. Um, so And the awards themselves are a social event. Okay, that's awesome. What I love about the site is, because I'm, I'm quite new to it, so I'm still like investigating it a little bit, is the different type of list. Like you've got one on there for UNESCO World Heritage Sites. I mean, mm, I, I can't remember the yeah. number, total number there is. I think you've been to obviously quite a few of them, but I was like, oh, wow, there's that many in the world. So I'm, I'm now thinking I haven't yeah, been to. It's quite awesome. There yeah. are. There's 1,199 at the moment. <laughs> I have to admit, not all of them are visit worthy. Um, yeah. You know, UNESCO has its own criteria, and, and a lot of the sites are there because of their value to humanity. But when you go there, maybe not so much is left to see. You know, you can understand the impact, but, you know, there's a mound and you look at the mound and yeah, okay, someone very important might have been buried there. And at yeah. the time, I suppose this was, but as, as a visitor, yeah, a mound is a mound. I'm not sure how much you can get out of it. But then, of course, some <laughs> other site. I'm just saying that because I went to a couple of mounds here in Korea. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, very beautiful mound indeed. <laughs> uh, but then but then some others are obviously very, uh, very significant and, and very popular and very known. So, yeah, some, some people in the community are counting how many they've been to as well. So we offer that. And how do you verify travellers who might say they've been somewhere who 
could be lying or not yeah. telling the full truth. Yeah, we are the only website of its kind that does actually attempt this. Uh, it's quite sad that some people do not portray their trips accurately. I mm. always wonder why. Uh, I, I do think sometimes it's inadvertently, to be fair. You know, people might think that a region is not, you know, they thought they'd visited it and they got muddled with a name or something. Fair enough. But then we have had some examples of blatant cheating. Um, what we do is we ask for a representative sample. Uh, we have uh, two levels of verification. So one is for the countries. And if yeah. it's countries, we're going to ask for 20 random, but they're not entirely random countries. So, you know, we are going to ask for a few that we know are harder, and then the person has to prove they've been there. And we, we will accept a variety of proof. Obviously, stamps, passport stamps are preferred, but there's a lot of other things that we have used as proof, including something as obscure as a diary. But okay. um, yeah. no, and, and then for the regions, we're going to ask for 60, uh, which is harder. Regions are harder to prove, especially in countries where, like, I don't know, in European countries, if you're asked to prove that you've been to, say, I don't know, uh, Molise, which is one of the areas of Italy, it might sometimes be difficult because you can't find any evidence of it yeah. itself if you drove there. But somehow we've managed, and we have verified, I think it's almost 300 people. Uh, we do not require this of everyone, let me be clear. We generally verify only those who have a higher ranking on Nomad Mania, which means they are more visible and they are claiming to really be big travellers. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the best thing about it is you, you just track your own travels. You can see just what you've done, right? Yeah. Because um, it is yeah. hard to sometimes yeah. remember if you don't um, track from, I don't know, 20 years ago and like, I've been some places I don't even remember so yeah yeah, yeah it's quite yeah. good well if, if if you've traveled a lot it does take a while to actually write you know <laughs> fill it all out and there's different ways to do it I use the one where I'm actually creating trips and filling in the dates and each region I was in but that's the one that works for me because then I can really look back and think okay so that's what I did in June of 2012 mm. you know yeah how else would I remember so that's why I podcasted on the road this year just so I know uh, each week where I was and what we got to because yeah. you forget right. the, the little niche yeah, parts okay. of travel right? who, who you met that day or you know I met, a, I met a guy called Choi in South Korea on the tube he just come up to us and start speaking basically some shit really but it's quite funny but uh, yeah he was just <laughs> an interesting character on the tube like, I'll probably forget that next year so uh, yeah right. I just need to know yeah. down those sort of things <laughs> yeah yeah good for you <laughs> okay and you're going to the Extraordinary Travel Festival next year I'm planning to yes I'm you know, Rick, who is organizing it, asked me to be a speaker mm. and I have accepted the invitation. So, you know, fingers crossed I should be there next November. Will you be there? I will. Yes, indeed. Ah, OK. Well, yeah. then we'll definitely meet up there then. It'd be great. I'm, I suppose, kind of one of the first events, I think, travel events, I'd say. Yeah, there's a few podcast events, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I, I love Thailand as well. So going back to Bangkok would be a nice little uh, experience and meeting some yeah, like-minded people. It's quite unique. I think you're going to love it. I was not at the event in Armenia last year, uh, although I did uh, lead a trip just before the event in Armenia. Mm. Um, but, you know, the feedback was great. You know, it's really uh, 
it, it's on the one hand an interesting event because you've got very uh, interesting speakers, very diverse topics. So, yeah. you know, it touches upon a broad range of travel themes. And of course, it is a very good opportunity to meet like-minded people. So um, I think, you know, it's guaranteed to be a worthwhile time. Yeah, it's interesting because my postgraduate friends in Norwich are probably not that sort of like my person, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is not, it's not yeah. criticism, it's just, the, it's just the way things have gone, right? I I do think certain people, when you get to certain amount of countries, you, are, you must be very intrigued with travel. You must like it a lot. Um, and that means you need to find people who can probably relate a bit more to it rather than the people who don't go to as many places, maybe. Yeah, well, what I find with myself is that I'm almost two people now. You know, I've got the yes. traveller, Harry, yeah. and the non-traveller, Harry. And then yeah. when I'm with my old friends, the, the ones from Greece, for example, or the ones from Oxford, for that matter, and they're not really travellers, we're going to talk about other things. I mean, yeah. we may briefly mention travel, but it's not going to be a major theme. But then with the travellers, it's almost always exclusively about travel and, you know, things like that. It's because when you come back home to real life, if you like, you don't get asked any questions about it. So I've been, no. yeah, I, I left my job in January, but I, I kind of started in December, really. So it's been a year. I don't think I'll get many questions about it, which is nice in a way, but also a bit like, ah, oh, they're not really that interested in it, which is fine. But I think you would like to kind yeah. of share experiences with people like yourself. Yeah, but, you know, you've got the podcast and I'm sure that gives you some exposure. And, you know, in my yeah. case, <laughs> by being the founder of Nomad Mania, people kind of know my name uh, here and there. So inevitably, I always get emailed and, and you know, there's questions here and there. And then I'm working on Nomad Mania as well with the team. So I definitely get more than enough travel related uh, aspects to my life that I think that there are times when I wish I had more of the non-travel related. You know, <laughs> I'm perfectly, perfectly happy with sitting and watching a film and, and not worrying about travel at all. Yeah. yeah. Where can people find you? on? I know you're not social media that much, but maybe websites or how they can contact you. Um, I, I am on Instagram. My handle is Harry Nomad. So, uh, you know, just um, add me there. I tend to only add people who I can tell are travelers or I know somehow, you know, we have common friends. I'm not going to yeah. add anyone. My profile is not public. So you have uh, got okay. to. Uh, yeah. that, that is partially because I'm not really, you know, I, I, <laughs> um, I'm not doing any of this for myself, really. It's more as part of Nomad Mania and being... Uh, you know, pushing Nomad Mania forward. Uh, otherwise, people can always send me an email, ari at nomadmania.com. You know, I do answer every email I get, uh, maybe not immediately if I'm traveling, <laughs> but, um, you know, eventually. And yeah, if not, just meet me in one of the many meetups we have, either of Nomad Mania or elsewhere. And by all means, if you're listening, remember, Nomad Mania is totally free. So you have nothing to lose by joining us. You just have lots of interesting content to gain. Awesome. Okay. And one last question before we get to my little feature to finish the episode on is what's next for you? I know you're in South Korea right now. Um, what's coming up travel-wise? Well, what's coming up is my mum's 80th birthday party. So <laughs> it is a, a return to the familiar 
uh, Athenian atmosphere where I grew up, where I'm going to be seeing lots of friends. So no real uh, travel content there. One of the plans for early next year is that long trip to the U.S., um, I think it's time, it's a good time to go to the US now. And I've always wanted to have a long road trip there. I've never oh. done that. Uh, I've had short road trips, but never this two month long road trip that takes in everything I wanted. Yeah, we just done um, that this year, yeah, in the summer. That's great. Ah, lucky, lucky man. <laughs> right, yeah. perfect. Sounds good. Sounds good. So this is more or less what, what I'm planning on. Uh, Nomad Mania is having a trip to Algeria in uh, April, and I'm going to be on that as well. Um, and we'll see. You know, I don't like to plan too far in advance. Uh, my participation on ETF had to be planned, but, um, you know, that is quite rare. So I have mm. no idea really what I'm going to be doing until next November when that comes uh, up awesome okay we're going to finish the episode with some quick fire travel questions these are normally your favorite things worldwide that you've seen so you've got a lot of choice to choose from i kind of make them up as i go so i normally do kick off with how many countries you travel to but you've answered that one already so let's go with it's travel question time your top three favorite un countries that you travel to you know, I really don't like this question. I know <laughs> it's so un- it's so un- it's so unfair to the other countries. I I and I always whenever I'm asked it, the, the answer always differs. So it's it's never the same answer. Um, uh, just now I'm going to come up with Namibia, uh, Colombia, and uh, I'm going to say Tuvalu. Why not? Uh, okay. Random three. Yeah. Okay. And which three countries? has the best cuisine oh okay turkey a hundred percent turkey uh i was just in japan and man i really enjoyed it so i'll put japan on the list um and i'm gonna say argentina because they definitely do the best meat and i'm a meat person so those three okay can you give me three cities in the world to sit and drink coffee and watch the world go by for an afternoon, where are you going to sit? What's your definition of city? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> okay, city or town. No, city or town, yeah. Ah, city or town. Okay, yeah. in that case, you're going to get really weird answers from me. <laughs> so I'm going to say Steged. That is a town in southern Hungary. Very pretty. Not much visited. Definitely worth going to. Uh, then I am going to say, so coffee in a random city. I'm going to say Kigali, which is, uh, the capital of Rwanda. It has made an incredible turnaround since the civil war and is probably one of the nicest countries in Africa. If someone hasn't been to Africa, uh, Rwanda is a very good country to start from. Uh, Poltava in Ukraine. Um, because Ukraine is a place I just really love in many ways. And, um, Poltava is a very historical town. It is, uh, the locus of a famous battle between the Swedish and Russian armies in 1700-something, I think. Um, and yeah, having a, a coffee in Ukraine definitely means, um, 
a lot of pleasant people watching. I will put it diplomatically. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what about three favorite beaches? Beaches? Oh, come on. I'm I'm half Greek. I mean, <laughs> they're all going to be they're all going to be in Greece. That's so, right. Um, okay. Well, um, we've got in Greece. There's an island off the coast of the Peloponnese called Elafonisos. Any beach on that island is amazing. It's like yeah. the ultimate paradise. Short ferry ride off the town of Neapoli on the south eastern coast of the Peloponnese. Then you've got the famous Navagio beach. Everyone knows that one. It's the kind of postcard on Zante mm -hmm. beach. That is a must. Uh, I haven't been for many years, but um, there, uh, there are Cucunaries beach in Skiathos, I think, is one I remember very fondly from my earlier years. And I imagine it still is very beautiful. Okay, uh, I've got a question from social media. It says, how many countries or regions do I need to get to to do an interview and be posted on Nomad Mania Instagram? You can become a member of Nomad Mania without, you know, I mean, technically you can become a member without filling in your profile. To appear on the rankings, uh, because we have that, you need to have, I think, 40 regions. Uh, that that's not country related. So in theory, let's say, especially if you're American and you've traveled a lot in America, you can get 40 regions mm. just by, by without ever having been abroad. Uh, I think we have that because otherwise it would be, you know, not so meaningful to have those uh, sort of rankings of travelers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about three favorite airlines? Air New Zealand, uh, Emirates, it's going to have to be Emirates. And I'm going to try to think of a niche one uh, just because I like being a bit quirky. Um, let me think. Luxair, they give a really good sandwich on board. Uh, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to fly Luxair, ask for the beef sandwich because they offer beef and cheese and most people will say cheese. Believe me, the beef one is good. So wow. that's a little, uh, a little. Well, you know, I wanted to say something a bit different. So yeah, I like it. I like yeah. it. I like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if tomorrow you can only go and stay in one country or one place for a year and live there, where are you going to put yourself? For a year. Mm, okay, that one is interesting. Uh, now, it would have to be a country that's big enough for me to roam around. Mm -hmm. It would have to be a country that has diversity in climate because I don't like a monotone and ideally diversity in geography as well. Uh, if I'm staying in a year, it means I'd like a place which is relatively well organized, not not truly chaotic. I think the only country I can think of that fits the bill is Chile. Uh, oh, yeah. Because nice. from north to south, you've got dramatically yes. different climate. Mm. Um, and it's, I would say, relatively well organized. It's uh, by far, I think, the most advanced in Latin America. It still has a nice, pleasant Latin vibe, but 
you know, sort of a cut above the rest in terms of organization. Lots to see and do, lots of natural sites, especially in the south. Uh, and lots of interesting cultural sites as well. So I'm sure my year would be quite good in Chile. Love it. Okay. And three countries that are probably good for the budget. So if you're a bit of a, maybe got not too much to spend on travel, but if you can name three countries that will take your dollar or pound the furthest, where are you going to say? Moldova. Absolutely. Really budget friendly. Uh, again, I would say quite a quirky country lots to experience in moldova uh if you do go to moldova stay at least a week and do go around i think most travelers go for three days that's not enough uh laos um again landlocked and eclipsed by thailand but really really nice uh luang prabang is one of my favorite places in the Same. world yeah uh yeah a true gem and again, I think it's particularly friendly on the budget. Let me think of a third one, which is good. You know what? I'm going to say Korea. It's not that cheap, but to be honest, it, 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 it's been surprisingly affordable. And given that Korea is, I would say, one of the really developed countries in mm. the world, you know, it's uh, it's up there, you get you know good good things for very reasonably priced um you know the food is reasonably priced uh, even petrol is not as expensive as it is in europe say so yeah it, it's not such a bad deal i'd agree with that because i think we got a coffee i can't it's busan or seoul and they claim to be like the barista of the year last year it's like two dollars mm. <laughs> like, hang on yeah. a minute yeah yeah that's great, oh, totally yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the, on yeah, the yeah. street, like brilliant. Yeah. 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 Korea is surprisingly affordable. Uh, it's not, uh, it is cheaper than Japan, clearly. It's not quite as efficient as Japan. Mm. Inevitably, you end up comparing the two because they are neighbors. And sometimes I hate myself for doing that because it's unfair. But I think, you know, in its own right, Korea is a good value country and it somehow doesn't get the the visitors that it should yeah. so maybe we should push a bit more for poor south korea yeah okay okay a couple more questions i'm giving you a camper van tomorrow so you've got three countries to do a road trip where are you going to road trip a bit loose here you go into one place you fly and you do your road trip and you fly to another place do a road trip ah uh, not consecutively all right i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna pretend this is fictional because i know that i wouldn't drive everywhere comfortably i do love to drive but there are some places where i'd hesitate but i'm going to say mexico mm. because i don't know it as well as i'd like to and i think that's one country where you need wheels to really explore it well yeah. um otherwise it's not going to work so that's one uh again if this were fictional i'm going to say uh iran uh, because it's huge and again to cover all these distances a car would be the most convenient way also because petrol is so cheap there it's almost cheaper than water so uh it wouldn't cost me very much to to drive around iran and it is one of the most intriguing countries with a good road network as well decent infrastructure it wouldn't be too much of a stretch and then a third one um, I'm going to say South Africa. 
Um, my mum was born there. I don't know it as well as I'd like to. Uh, and I think a camper van may be the right way to explore it. Okay. Uh, what's the most high adrenaline activity you've done on your travels? Go to Mogadishu. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> believe me, it was a constant adrenaline high. I, I did not sleep while I was there. I was just so anxious. It was just all my senses were heightened at every moment. So that's it. Okay. And last question is going to be, what words or a few sentences can you give to someone who is looking to travel, who's maybe a bit nervous or needs a bit of a pick-me-up to go and sort of go and test themselves in a different culture? What would you say? Mm. Mm. Well, first of all, I'd say don't believe what you read. Uh, you know, if you read the advice of, say, the foreign office, you'd probably never leave your front door. So, mm. you know, the world is not as terrifying as... It is portrayed. In general, I have found that people are kind and helpful almost everywhere. Uh, I'd also say that even though things work very differently in different places, ultimately it's important to remember that most people want the same things. So the minute you're able to humanize all these other people who are very similar to you, with the same types of problems, usually not enough money, often a spouse that, you know, nags them and, and doesn't let them do what they want. Uh, and, uh, you know, people that want to humanize them, then I think the difficulties of being in a diff different place will evaporate. And then you will feel more at home, no matter where you are. Awesome. Okay, Harry, thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's actually been an honor. You're actually on my list. For a while so i'm glad to get this in in late 2023 going into 2024 and i look forward to seeing you next year at extraordinary travel festival that would be wonderful i really look forward to that thanks so much for having me thank you so much thank you for listening to my winging it travel podcast episode today you can find me on instagram at james hammond travel or winging it travel podcast you can search for both I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last eight to 10 years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook, and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James. <laughs>